Welcome to Asia-Pacific Defence Reporter, your go-to source for cutting-edge security insights in the region. Get ready for rapid-fire analysis and commentary from the Asia-Pacific with your host, Kim Bergman. Hello and welcome back. This is the last podcast for 2023, and uh, there are a couple of topics where I'm not going to hold back because not only is it the end of the year, but some things have happened that, uh, that have really annoyed me. And for those of you who are worried that I'm just going to repeat the same old stuff about AUKUS and about helicopters, just bear with me. I can assure you that I've got some new information to contribute in all of this. Now, on the 15th of December in the United States, the National Defence Authorization Act was passed, a huge document over 4,000 pages dealing with defence funding for the next 12 months. Uh, it has stuff about everything from B-21 aircraft all the way through to guard dogs and things like that. Now, embedded in the middle of it was a section about AUKUS, and as I've been reporting in the past, the legislation that is now official is pretty similar to the drafts that I've been commenting on earlier. And the reporting about this in Australia, I found a little bit annoying because some of it seemed to imply that the passage of the legislation means that Australia will be acquiring nuclear-powered submarines. It does no such thing. It puts in place a series of reporting mechanisms and also has provision for the US to appoint a senior official from their side to manage the process and a number of other measures, including detailing regulations that need to be altered and then putting in place requirements that those alterations be reported back. It's quite thorough in that regard, but it in no way clears the way for a, a sale. It's putting in place a framework that makes sense, but there is still a very long way to go in all of this. But here, I mean, I can't blame the media too much because many people simply report what our politicians have been saying, and I felt, as usual, there was just too much hype and too much exaggeration in all of this from everyone from the Prime Minister down. And in my opinion, they need to be reminded that the capital of Australia is Canberra and not Washington, D.C. Now, in the legislation, one of the few concrete things that is there, it puts in place a mechanism so that this wretched $4.7 billion that I've been going on about can now be transferred to the United States. Again, Australia has no visibility of what happens to that money. It goes into an account measured by the Secretary of Navy. Supposedly, it will go through to the US submarine base to expand the base so that they will be producing Virginia-class submarines at a sufficient rate to allow a couple of second-hand ones to be sold to Australia and possibly a third new one further down the, the track. Now, just on some of those reporting requirements, I'll read some sections. Uh, there are a whole lot of subsections in the legislation. You don't need to read it all. I mean, you're welcome to, obviously. It's a publicly available document. It requires a bit of digging, but, but it's there. Anyway, one of the reporting uh, requirements, this is for the US, a detailed assessment of how Australia's sovereign conventionally armed nuclear attack submarines 
contribute to United States defence deterrence objectives in the Indo-Pacific region. Well, I think the only way that Australian submarines contribute to US security is if fundamentally they are regarded as part of US forces. If ours are regarded somehow as separate um, from the United States as possibly uh, being unavailable to be involved in a conflict, then you would think that that actually detracts from US security, that they would have been better off keeping the submarines for themselves. So that's an interesting one. I, I, I don't know how that's going to be handled. But now we come to the real crux of it. The part of the legislation that explains under what conditions a future president is authorised to approve of the sale. Point one, the transfer of such vessels will not degrade the United States undersea capabilities. That's an interesting one. Will not degrade the United States undersea capabilities. Well, a future president could simply take the view, we need these submarines more than Australia does. Full stop, end of sale. The second point that's in the same paragraph, that a sale is consistent with United States foreign policy and national security interests. Well, I mean, that is such a broad phrasing. Again, it would allow a future president to simply say, no, the sale isn't consistent with the United States foreign policy and national security interests. That's it. Sale doesn't go ahead. Now, for Australia to already be handing over the $4.7 billion and there are other, you know, we're spending money, I, I detailed $2 billion going on training, $300 million going on total A sonars, and I'm told with more to be spent in that area, I'll put a placeholder there, I'll be coming back to, to that one. It seems to me to be a huge gamble, and the legislation doesn't even nominate years of decision for any of these things. It just talks about the transfers happening sometime in the early 2030s. It's remarkably short of milestones, and it really does leave a sale up to pretty much what amounts to the personal discretion of a future president of the United States. Now, let's touch on some other fallacies that I came across in the reporting in all of this. There was a lot of crowing that this deal is unique. And, it, you know, the fact that it's unique makes it truly amazing and Australia is so privileged and we, we, we are so special. Ladies and gentlemen, it might be unique for the United States, but it's definitely not unique when you look at what has happened elsewhere in the world. As I've detailed in a previous podcast, Russia has leased nuclear-powered submarines to India. The first of those was in 1989. Uh, a third submarine is either has been leased or is about to be leased. Uh, and for the last decade, France is in the process of helping Brazil develop a nuclear-powered submarine. So why is it that Australian politicians are going weak at the knees simply because the US is now playing catch-up? with what's been happening in other parts of the world for quite some time. And also, if I hear the words bipartisan support, one more time, I'm going to scream. This is when the question comes up, oh, well, you know, the United States, if there's a change of administration, particularly, say, if Donald Trump is elected, what are the consequences? And people say over and over again, 
AUKUS has bipartisan support, and so it's absolutely fine. I mean, these people on drugs, right now, in the United States, US military aid, both to Israel and to Ukraine, is being held hostage by Republican politicians who want more money spent on the border wall with Mexico. Israel is an extremely close ally, obviously, of the United States. Ukraine is a new ally, and in the minds of of, uh, many people, a very, very important one. And yet, military funding is being held up because of domestic political agendas. And so to anyone who says, oh, look, AUKUS is safe, AUKUS is beyond that, I I say to them, wake up. Really, just have a look at the situation in the United States and how brutal domestic politics is, and to seriously try and argue that everything is safe no matter what just isn't matched by the facts. Now, another area that, I again, I've dealt with previously is this one of just the huge problem of increasing the build rate of Virginia submarines, trying to get from the present 1.2, 1.5 up to 2.33. Now, Look, Virginia Canal Submarine has maybe 5 million discrete parts. It's a big supply chain. G- getting, getting it to work faster is made even more difficult by the fact that there are uh, many single points of failure in the sense that there's just a monopoly supplier. Um, nuclear reactors are one. In the United States, there is only one company that makes naval nuclear reactors. Same as there is only one company in the United States that makes the the propeller shafts that have been absolutely vital component in the submarines. And they have been trying for several years now to increase their rate of output and for a whole lot of complex reasons, simply can't manage it. Again, it seems to be a very big gamble. And I also observe that the stated intention of AUKUS was to increase the industrial base of the US, the UK, and Australia. I don't see any increase uh, happening in the Australian industrial base at all. In fact, because of government cutbacks to defence expenditure, another hot topic that I've dealt with, Australian industry will soon start to shrink. Rather than beefing up, it's going to go backwards. And Defence Industry Minister Pat Conroy is fond of talking about, oh, well, Australia will be spending money gearing up for Virginia-class submarines to be deployed to Australia from 2027 onwards, and we're preparing for the eventual construction of the, the AUKUS submarine. But just look at where that money is going. It's to buy land, and it's pouring concrete to make some docks longer. I'm not aware of a single cent at the moment being invested in future submarine technology. It's all going into infrastructure. Okay, yes, you need the infrastructure, but it doesn't matter how many million cubic metres of concrete you pour or how much land you buy as a country. It doesn't get us at all close to being to being up to the task of the construction of submarine. 
Another depressing feature in all of this is what I regard as almost the complete lack of analysis about the additional capability that a nuclear-powered submarine is going to give to us. And I maintain most of Australia's submarine needs could have been met by a conventional boat constructed locally with air-independent propulsion and with refuelling stations at any of a multiple of northern locations, including Christmas Island, Exmouth and Darwin, preferably all three. And by the way, when I mean a modern conventional submarine, I mean a forward-looking design like ones from Korea, Sweden, Germany and Japan. For people who say that, well, we tried that with the attack class and failed, I say that the attack design was a terrible idea. It had no air-independent propulsion, no lithium-ion batteries, no vertical launch missile system, and no particular provision for the deployment of uninhabited underwater vehicles. So I thought it was a remarkably backward-looking effort. And uh, amazingly, this idea of a modern uh, AIP-equipped submarine seems never to have been seriously considered. When people talk conventional submarines, they are still thinking of Collins, which is now a 30-year-old design. A submarine equipped with AIP can stay fully submerged for more than 20 days. And if on a mission it takes on fuel somewhere in Australia's north, it could carry out extended patrols in the South China Sea. And it's this feature of being able to operate in the South China Sea that continues to fascinate AUKUS boosters, but it's actually of questionable strategic value. Now, also let me say a few things about Virginia-class submarines, because the US is good at saying very loudly that the Virginias are the best SSNs in the world, and that gets repeated in Australia. Well, um, no, that they're not. I can be quite emphatic about that. And I say this partly using US sources because the quietest SSN in the US inventory is actually the Seawolf class. But the Seawolf was so expensive to build that they could only produce three of them. And as I previously mentioned, one of them collided at a high speed with an undersea rock a couple of years ago and is out of service for another two years. Now, Virginias are certainly good, but they're not that good. They are designed as a cheap, I mean, relatively speaking, they're still, you know, eight billion Australian dollars or something like that, but that they are um, a low cost, lower cost, mass produced alternative to Seawolf and with maintenance very much an afterthought in their design. Now, that's not me. That's various public statements by the United States Navy. Now, it's a while since I've had access to anything like the classified data that, that you need on, on this topic, but I would speculate that after Seawolf, the next quietest SSN would be the French Barracuda. I've got a pretty good idea of French building standards and the levels that they try and achieve in terms of stealth and in, in terms of trying to quieten the submarine. And so I would rate Barracuda very highly. Astute from the UK, I have a bit more difficulty calibrating that, but that's probably quieter as well than a Virginia class. And of course, 
one of the many ironies is that Australia was developing a conventional version for the attack program of the French Barracuda. And if we had given up that silly idea and switched to nuclear power, that submarine could have been constructed in Australia with work starting, frankly, about now, not in the year 2040. And, you know, again, people in the government and just parroting stuff that they've been told from Navy, well, that uses low enriched uranium and so has to be refueled every 10 years. Well, so what? So what? That those reactor cores, the nuclear material, LEU, could be stored in Australia and we could be refueling the submarines here. And that's another total travesty that that was never analysed. And what we've had is a combination of ministers who neither know nor care They have staff who have other completely unknown priorities and a department that has lost its way in terms of having a rigorous framework for project development and approval. It now looks to me like individual services just come up with their own almost random ideas. And in the case of AUKUS, I think appallingly, this was imposed from above. It has all of the hallmarks of a solution in, pardon me, It has all the hallmarks of a solution conjured up by politicians and being implemented by government officials rather than the consequence, rather than the result of rigorous analysis of Australian requirements and budgets. It just has this totemic value. You know, nuclear-powered submarines are going to fix all Australia's defence problems. No, they're not. And as I say, it's highly, well, it's not particularly likely that we're even going to receive them. And you see... There has been no concession about this reality from the government, the department, or the Navy. They just continue to speak and act as if all of these things are absolutely certain. And as I have been explaining, they are not. And when we look at the geopolitical situation at the moment, rather than increasing our dependence on the US, we should in fact be looking at opportunities for increasing self-reliance as much as we can, yet we're going at very high speed in completely the opposite direction. And I'll just conclude with a quick final few words on helicopters and the travesty of spending $11 billion on the unnecessary replacement of Tiger and Taipans just because a few people in army, you know, we're talking less than 20 people, I would say, were behind this just because they wanted US hardware What we are going to be receiving is a generation behind Tiger and Taipan. And along with nuclear-powered submarines, I have never before seen such an expensive and consequential decision taken with so little scrutiny or so little discussion. It's, frankly, it's a disgrace. Why has no one in Army, Defence or a ministerial office in the last 10 years bothered examining why other countries such as New Zealand, France, Germany and Italy have been able to successfully keep their respective helicopter fleets flying. It's been a total failure of common sense. It's institutional laziness combined with a series of ministers who don't have any ideas themselves or don't care or both. Anyway, I'm sorry to have finished the year on uh, such a, a, a pessimistic rant, But I really am seriously concerned with the direction of defence policy in Australia at the moment. And it's only by highlighting these problems that there's any chance that 
there's going to be a change for the better. And I'll just sign off by wishing everyone a happy Christmas. I hope it's a quiet and enjoyable and especially a peaceful end to the year. I look forward to speaking with you in 2024. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. That's today's Asia-Pacific Defence Reporter. For more in-depth articles, expert opinions and exclusive interviews, visit asiapacificdefensereporter.com. Stay informed, stay ahead. This is your source for all things defence. Until next time.